Would you go to the Lord with me in prayer again? Lord, we want to quiet our hearts in this moment to be still before you, to hear what the Spirit might say to the church today. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this season. Uh, Most of all, thank you for the gift of Jesus, and we pray that we might uh, sense your very presence in this worship service. In Christ's name, amen. Well, aren't these presents here lovely? This one uh, was under our tree, and I borrowed it. It's uh, from Grandma and Grandpa, not me, but the other grandparents to uh, their grandson. Looks good, doesn't it? Nicely wrapped, huh? And uh, here are some others that uh, got a snowman on it. Uh, by the way, let me take a poll. I've got a great tie that Eloise Bowers made me. She's with the Lord now, but it's a Santa Claus tie. And my wife says, you can't wear that to church. Is that true? Santa Claus tie? I don't know. You might put on your communication card a little vote, you know, whether you could wear that in Sunday morning or not. Uh, here's another nicely wrapped present. What do you think? Yeah? And I think this present is actually to me, and I think it's an autographed uh, Jimmy Carter book. Oh, nice. Anyhow, I want to talk to you uh, again about the theme that's kind of come together for us this season, because we have been talking about presenting our presence, right? And uh, Bill Wood summed it up for us. And I'm going to ride this horse clear to the end of Advent. There's no better time, do you know where I'm going? There's no better time than the present to present your present. Now, who is your present, by the way? That's important. Who is your present? What are you presenting, or better, who? Yes, you. You are the present. And so I was thinking about how pleasant is the presentation of the present, Is it wonderfully wrapped like this? And I got to thinking about that, and uh, I want to ask you some questions, just for reflection purposes. But are you nicely wrapped? Or are you tightly wrapped? Or do you sometimes come unwrapped? How pleasant is the presentation of the present? Are you with me? Um... Sometimes we do come unwrapped, don't we? Or, another one, are you all wrapped up in yourself? This morning, as we again think of this third Sunday of Advent, this is the theme for joy today. And as we think about presenting our present, I would like to present you with some perfume. Because when we present ourselves, oftentimes it's nice if we present ourselves with some perfume. If we not only look good, but we smell good, that just adds to the package, doesn't it? And so today I'd like for you to think about this as as I present my present, I'm going to put some perfume on it so it not only looks pleasant and pleasurable and presentable, but it smells good too. And the perfume I would like to put on there is what? What's it called? You've got it. I want everybody to hear it. Joy. Joy. Thank you, Marcy. It's joy. 
Now, I realize you can go down to Macy's and buy joy, but that joy is a Johnny-come-lately to the joy I'm talking about today. This is the real deal, a couple thousand years old at least, okay? So as you think about presenting your present today, I hope you will think about the fact that uh, let's put a little joy with our presentation, with our present today. And I want to talk about that on this third Sunday of Advent. Now, as we talk about joy, let me, I'm going to keep referencing either Jesus or Paul. And we're going to ask, what do they say on this subject? And so let me put the first verse up there from Jesus. Uh, would, uh, let's read that together. In this world, you will have trouble. What verse is that? You could pretty much remember that one, can't you? You've already memorized a verse today. In this world, you're going to have what? Trouble. Jesus' words. Next verse. Let's read this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, for those of you, we're mostly going to be looking at the book of Philippians today. For those of you who have studied Paul and you know about the book of Philippians, when he says uh, that what has happened to me, what happened to Paul, who would help us understand what's he talking about? He's in prison. Thank you. So as Paul writes to the Philippians, he's in prison. That's what's happened to him. Would you put that under the category of trouble? I would. I'm not going to ask how many of us have been in prison today, but, uh, you know, that's a trouble. Let's look at the next verse. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Whoo! Words of Paul again in the book of Philippians. Now, he's actually writing about people who are against him. Have you ever had anybody who opposes you? Anybody oppose you? Yeah. This past week, and I, I pray for this young man, I felt badly, but uh, I was talking to someone and he said to me, you're a phony. You're a phony preacher. He was very agitated. And he said, you're a phony preacher and I'm going to bring you down. And he went on and on. And I tried to calm him down. I, you know, I, my mind was racing. What could I say to this troubled soul? But uh, as he left, uh, I, I was troubled. My joy wasn't where it was before I met him. Uh, he was opposing me. Let's look at another verse. Paul says in uh, chapter 4, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And Paul's talking about the fact that this church had financially supported him and prayed for him. He had problems, financial problems. They sent money. They helped out. And so they shared in his trouble. Now, I go through these verses because as we start talking about joy... It's easy to think for you just to fall asleep and say, well, this is just, it's the third Sunday of Advent. This is just preacher talk. You know, he's got to talk about joy today, and I don't have any joy. Well, let's put it down right off. The first thing we're going to put down today is that um, life is filled with joy robbers. Joy robbers. You would agree with that, I suppose. There are things that rob us of our joy. Let's, let's... For the sake of this conversation, let's go back and list some things that, that uh, would be true for Paul. What robbed Paul of his joy? Potentially robbers of Paul's joy. What would one be? Okay, he got stoned. That doesn't mean he got high. He, people threw rocks at him. You always have to clarify. Um, what? Shipwrecked. What else? That'd be a joy robber. Shipwrecked. <laughs> he was in prison. Now, let's take a break here, or kind of go back, because you remember he's writing this letter to the Philippians. And if you remember back in the book of Acts, 
Paul went to Philippi, met a beautiful woman, I suppose she was beautiful, named Lydia. With a name like that, you'd have to be beautiful. A seller of purple. How exotic is that? And with her help and the help of others, they started this church. You remember where Paul ended up in Philippi? It's a Sunday school story. He was in prison. Remember the story about singing in jail at midnight and the earthquake and all that? Well, that's what happened to Paul when he started this church. And so he was in prison on that time. Now, it's a different story, but he's in prison as he writes this as well. So prison would kind of be a joy robber. Anything else that might rob Paul's joy? He had a thorn in the flesh. Also, as Paul writes in this book, there were people within the church who opposed him. Can you imagine a Christian opposing another Christian? It's a good thing that doesn't happen anymore, huh? And not only that, within the church people opposed him, outside the church people opposed him as well. So there's a long list of things that could be joy robbers for Paul, these things that come up in life. Now, what about you? I want you to think with me, and if you are taking notes, jot it down here. What are some joy robbers for you? What interrupts your day and brings you down? Think about it. Don't answer me out loud, but I'd like for you to, to make a mental list, maybe make a physical list. Just a few weeks ago, I parked in the driveway here of the church, got out of my car, shut the door, and I immediately knew I had locked my keys in the car. I cannot ever remember doing that before. It's not a common thing for me. I may lose my keys, but usually I get them out of the car. I thought, ah. So I called AAA. They came out, and uh, I watched as this guy kind of pried the window away from the molding, and then he got his tool in there, and he fished around, and, you know, within seconds he was in the car, handed me my keys, and he said, great, see it. I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. So I shut the door, and the window's about this far away from the molding, still. So I rolled it up and down, and, it, and he said, oh, I said, what's the problem? It's going to rain, it's going to leak. I said, this is not the way it was when you got here. And he said, oh, I can fix that. So he pushes it back in. It looked great. I said, wait, I rolled it up and down again, it pops out. Well, the bottom line is he'd broken the, mold, the track the window runs on because he pried it out so far to get his tool in there. That's a joy robber. That's a joy robber. Break the window on my Z. That just doesn't make me happy. And so he said, come up to the shop, come up to the shop. So I drove up on Foothill or wherever the shop was, and the guy looked. He said, oh, I fixed it, I fixed it, and he puts it back together. I said, it's not fixed. You broke the track, a little rubber plastic thing. Well, we'll get you one. And bottom line is they were good. They got it fixed eventually, and, you know, it's good now. But as I thought about that, I was highly irritated, first, at locking the keys in my car, Second, for what? This guy comes out and pops the window practically off on the street. And I'm like, there's no way to do things, you know. And I thought about calling AAA and complaining. I'm all worked up. Is that really a big deal to get the plastic piece about this big around? You know, it's a window. I mean, it's an old car. What difference does it make? But it was a joy robber. Now, you, you, something like that would never rob you of your joy, Right. But go ahead on that list and just think, what are the things you're sailing down through the day? It's a great day, but these little things pop up that are unexpected. You didn't plan on them, and your joy's gone. And so I want you to ask the question, and I've worded it like this, when, not if, when your joy is gone, ask why. Why? Be honest enough with yourself to recognize things have changed all of a sudden for me. Why? Why don't I feel good like I did at the start of the day? Or, you're with me, right? You understand? Just ask the question, why? What's happening to me? Uh, recognize, in, in other words, when your joy has turned to junk. You know, you've just taken a nosedive. 
and be honest enough to ask yourself about that. Now, a little survey here. Uh, I'm being a little bit vulnerable, but does anybody here know who Lucinda Williams is? Not Joyce. you got to put you. Tim, and he's in seminarian. Is, is it just you and me, Tim? Who's, who's Lucinda Williams? A singer. What kind of singer? Country, jazzy, bluish. I think David might like Lucinda Williams, don't you? He's a closet country western fan, you know. Not anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, he said that publicly in a sermon, so I'm uh, just following his lead. Lucinda Williams, I read about her in the L.A. Times years ago, and it was a, a review, and this guy said, I think she's one of the best songwriters in America. And so I went and bought her CDs. I now have all her CDs. I went to her last concert here. And she's sort of, a, I don't know how to describe her. She's, I don't think she's ever had a hit record, but she's got a song called Joy. Now, I was going to play it for you, but Joyce said, uh, don't do that. It's, it's a, the, the irony of the song is that it's very grating. A lot of you would hear it and you go, oh, you just cringe the way she sings it. But in the song, it's, a lot of her songs are about love and loss and all that stuff. And I think the song must be about her boyfriend that left. Here's what she says in the song. I don't want you anymore because you took my joy. I don't want you anymore because you took my joy. You took my joy. I want it back. You took my joy. I want it back. You know that song, Tim? Yeah, some other artists have recorded it now. But anyhow, this idea, you know, her joy ran off with this guy, and she's upset about it. And so in the song, she says, I'm going to West Memphis to look for my joy. And she repeats that over and over. Now, I have no idea why you'd go to West Memphis to look for joy. But that's what Lucinda Williams uh, says in this song. Now, the point is just to recognize when our joy leaks out. This time of year, if you ride a mountain bike, you get a lot of flats because there's thorns out there. It hasn't rained in forever other than this weekend. And so, you know, you catch a thorn and slowly the air leaks out of your tire. And in life, I think it's much like that, that sometimes we're living along and something happens and slowly the joy just leaks out of our life and we become joyless. Now, I don't recommend going to West Memphis to look for your joy. But I think when we've lost our joy, we need to ask, where did it go? Why am I not joyful? And identify, what is it that's standing between me and my joy? Because after all, what kind of present do you want to present, right? What's in here, Mom? This is heavy. I don't know. Uh, is that from you or from Joyce? Ah, it's from my mom. Okay, to, to Roger and Shannon. Um, so be, be honest enough with yourself to, to say, why is my joy gone? Now, I don't think we have to take very long on this next point, but the next point is this. Jesus' followers are to have what? Joy. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time here, but let me give you some references. The reality is, as you present your present, it should be a joy-filled present. It ought to smell great, because you've been around the fragrance of God, Jesus. So let's look at a couple of scriptures. Um, these are the words of Jesus. He said, I have told you this so that my, what? Joy may be in you and that your, what? Joy may be complete. Jesus had joy. He wants to put his joy in us. Another verse. This comes actually from the prayer of Jesus, and he's praying these words. He's praying for Jesus' own followers. He's praying for us. And he says, I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they, that would be us, 
may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus wants his followers to have joy. That should characterize our faith. In fact, a great name for a church is Church of Joy. Wouldn't that be a great name? Now, we'd have to live up to it. But uh, it would be appropriate. Another verse. Paul, writing in Philippians, and you can see this is just drawn out of several chapters, says, Rejoice with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Re- uh, re- uh, yeah. <laughs> I say it again. Rejoice. And so several times. In fact, over 12 times in this little book, he talks about joy or rejoicing. And uh, I want to encourage us to remember that it is an expectation that as followers of Christ, we will be people of joy. Richard Wagner, the composer, said this, and I think it's a great thing to remember at Christmas time. Joy is not in things. Joy is in us. It's in people. And this morning, as you think about presenting your present, I want to encourage you to perfume it with joy, that it's a joy-filled present, that there's a smile on the face as it's presented. Now, another song, and I I wished I'd have gotten hold of Ted and maybe had him sing this for us, but uh, in your worship folder, there's this outline, and uh, I could try to whistle this song as well, but that would be bad. Bobby McFerrin, you've heard of him? A little song he had? A great little song. Here's a little song I wrote. You're familiar with it? Uh, You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. You remember that song? Anyhow, one of the lines says, uh, in in, in every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry what? Be happy. Now, I know it's a silly little song. You say, well, Steve, what's that got to do with joy? But it does have to do with this idea in some way that you and I are to be joy-filled, happy people. That that's a characteristic or should be of a Christian's life if they're filled with the Spirit and walking with God. Now, as to this matter of joy, think about the opposite. You you may be resisting me and say, well, you know, it's just my my personality to be joy-filled, Steve. What's the alternative? If you're not going to be a joy-filled Christian, what kind of person are you going to be? (laughs) A Scrooge? I mean, what's the alternative if you're not going to have joy? Even that ought to motivate you to try and be the the kind of person that Jesus has called us to be, that is, to be a joy-filled person. Now, I know I've been talking a lot about joy without actually saying what it is. So I want to ask you, if you would, to turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you're in the Pew Bible, if you want to use one, it's page 198 towards the back. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul helps us understand what it would look like to be a joy-filled Christian. And I call this the joy mix. The joy mix. Now, I've never made a pumpkin pie, but uh, how many of you have made one? Several. Okay, I'm going to ask you for some help in just a minute. As we talk about this joy mix, let's look, uh, first of all, at verses 8 and 9. Let me read them to you as you listen. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Paul's listing eight things here, so kind of pay attention to these words. Whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what are you supposed to do? Think about such things. In other words, put those in your mind. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 
A great passage from Paul in Philippians. Now, back to the pumpkin pie. What would I need if I was going to make a pumpkin pie? Pumpkin. Good idea. Spices. Eggs. Milk. Sugar. Flour. Cinnamon. Have we got it? So what? A pan to put it in. Yeah, you, you need ingredients. If you're going to make a pumpkin pie, you have to have some ingredients. And first of all, you have to have pumpkin. Now, in the context of what we're talking about, if you're going to have joy, it's a simple little sermon. Don't preach this sermon, Tim, as you start your new church. Please don't do this. It's a simple little sermon. Most pastors have done it at one time or another in their career. They preach about joy, and it's a three-point sermon, right? What is it? Jesus, others, you. And oftentimes it's prioritized. Put Jesus first, others second, yourself third, and you know, then go to the counselor for your psychological problems. Um, now, that's a fun way to think about joy. Certainly, we do want to think about Jesus, though, as first, because why are we able to be joy-filled people? What is, the, what is the bottom line for us? Why is it that we can be joyful in the midst of trouble? It's Jesus. And at this season, when we are in our preparation for the celebration of the Incarnation, in this season, when we realize again, in a, in a fresh way, hopefully, God came to earth. God lived among us. God died for us. God in Jesus rose again and calls us into a personal relationship with himself. And for all those who confess Christ as Lord, he gives them the spirit, a new heart. You have forgiveness of sins, eternal life, a home in heaven. Can you be joyful because of Jesus? So he is our source of joy. He's the reason why we can be joyful in any and all circumstances. And this morning as we talk about joy, that's the first ingredient. If you're going to make pumpkin pie, you need pumpkin. If you're going to have a joy-filled Christian life, you need Christ. That's the bottom line. Now, what else are we going to put in there? Well, I want to um, just highlight chapter 4 for you. And let me walk through it very quickly. The chapter begins with a trouble. Two women in the church are fighting. Can you imagine? Perhaps it was a Baptist church. And Paul says to these ladies, you need to figure out a a solution. Don't just live out your dysfunction. Come together. Resolve your troubles. Not only that, he says, church, help them. And then he goes right into this passage that we just read when he talks about Uh, rejoicing in the Lord, chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord, always rejoice. Be gentle, let your gentleness be known to all. He says, pray, and when you pray, pray with what? We've worked on this for two weeks. Thanksgiving, thank you, you've got it. And he says, when you do these things, you're going to have the peace that passes understanding. And then he comes into this section, finally, beloved, whatever's true, and he begins to list these things. Now, here's the reality. If you, let me just pick out one of these. He says, let your, uh, in verse 8, he says, um, whatever's pure, think on these things. Whatever's just, think on these things. Whatever's pleasing. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think about? What is in your mind most of the time? When you lay down at night to go to sleep, what do you think about? When you get up in the morning, what do you think about? When somebody cuts you off on the freeway, what do you think about? When somebody comes and pops open your window too far to unlock your car, what do you think about? Because 
what you think about is going to have a whole lot to do with whether you're a joy-filled person. Now, our minds wander, right? All the time. And so you have to learn to control yourself to put into your mind these things Paul's talking about if you want to get out on the other end, joy. In other words, if your life is always filled with impure thoughts, if you're mean, if you've got a lot of garbage going around in your head, you are not going to have a joy-filled life any more than you can have a pumpkin pie if you put rocks in it. Because what Paul's talking about here are the things you need in your life and in your mind to have joy. And so I encourage you uh, to answer that question on the outline, what is it you think about? Now, the truth is you think about all kinds of things. But you have to bring your mind back into thinking about the things Paul's talking about here. And it's not an exhaustive list you could add to it. Do you think about what's right, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy? (laughs) Not only that, not only what do you think about, but do you follow faith traditions? Because at the end, in verse 9, Paul says... Not only think about these things, but he says, you know, you've watched me. Philippian people, you've seen me, you've heard me speak, you've learned from me, you've watched me with your eyes. And the things that you have seen me do, the things you've heard me teach, I want you to do those things. That's the faith traditions. In other words, do what Paul did. What did Paul do then is the question. So help me out. What what would you say are some of these faith traditions that Paul did? What's one of them? What? He reads the gospel, yes. He reads his Bible. That's a good faith tradition. What's another one from the centrist section here? He gave thanks. Amen. That's another tradition. What's another one? He he encouraged the churches, Elena. A great example. In the jail, he worshipped and sang in the face of adversity. So things like praise, Bible reading, prayer with thanksgiving, what you're doing today in worship, these are the traditions Paul says you need to follow if you're going to be a joy-filled person. It's a part of the joy-filled life to worship God, to pray, and do these things. So I want to encourage you today to reflect on exactly what is your lifestyle. What are you thinking about Because if we're going to be people, if we're going to be the church of joy, and if we're going to be able to present ourselves with this presence presence and presence of perfume on us, then we need to live the way Paul talks about in this passage in chapter 4. I want to conclude this morning by reading a story. Because the truth is, one of the fun things in heaven will be to run into people and... to run into people that we had no idea that our life touched their life in some way, but it's going to come back. We're going to learn about how God coordinated things and choreographed things, and it's going to be, wow, I didn't know that would happen. You know, I I never dreamed this was flowing out of my life or that it had this impact. And this is a little story that reminds us that when you present your present in a pleasant, presentable way with some perfume, that you never know how that present will impact another person for God and for good. So let me conclude with this story. It's written by uh, Sherry Maddox. Sherry writes this. I think it was 1982. It was October. A friend of mine had business dealings in the city of Reno, Nevada, and I was there accompanying her on this overnight trip. While she conducted her business, I was aimlessly walking down Virginia Street 
headed into the most glorious sunset. I had an urge to speak to someone on the street about the sunset, but I couldn't make eye contact with anyone. It seemed they were just shuffling along, walking, looking down at the ground. So I took the next best action. Quickly, I ducked into a department store and asked the lady behind the counter if she could come outside for just one minute. She looked at me as though I were from some other planet and said, Well, I said, It'll only take a minute. Come on. And seemingly against her better judgment, she stepped outside with me. When she got outside, I said to her, Just look at that sunset. Nobody was there to look at it with me, and I just had to share it with someone. For a few seconds, we just looked. Then I said, God's in his heaven, and all's right with the world. I thanked her for coming out to see it with me. She went back inside, and I left. It felt good to share the beauty. I forgot about the episode. Four years later, my situation had changed considerably. I had come to the end of a 20-year marriage. I was alone and on my own for the first time in my life in drastically reduced circumstances. I lived in a trailer park, which at that time I considered a real come-down, and I had to do the wash in the communal laundry mat. One day, my clothes were going round and round, and I picked up a Unity magazine in the laundromat and read an article about a woman who was in a similar or had been in a similar situation. She had come to the end of her marriage. She had moved to a strange new community. And the only job she could find was a job that she disliked. Cosmetic sales in a department store. We had a lot in common. She was as bummed out as I was. Then something happened that changed everything for her. She said a woman came into the department store and asked her to step outside to look at the sunset. The stranger said, God's in his heaven and all's right with the world. And she realized the truth of that statement, that she had not simply not been seeing it. From that moment on, she said, her life had turned around and turned up. You never know. You never know when you present your present what impact it will have. And I pray that your present might be filled with all the glory of God this season, the joy of knowing the Lord. Would you stand with me? And let's read as our conclusion this morning these great words of the apostle that he wrote from prison, encouraging us to rejoice in the Lord. Would you read with me? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated.